Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Sally Needham, formerly of the FA, now Sheffield United, to speak about all things neuroscience and its application within football. Sally, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Connor. Nice to meet you. And thanks for having me. Sally, well, I suppose where we start with every podcast is asking the guest uh, where their earliest football memory occurred and with yourself, it's none different. Um... Do you know what my football earliest memory um, that links a little bit into? Uh, I've got a couple really, in a way. I don't know what, which one really is, but um, I can remember going to Sheffield to um, the City Hall when Euro 96 happened and Gaza did his overhead free kick about my dad. And then my earliest kind of other football memory um, was um, going to Barnsley, big Barnsley fan, went with my dad, and I were at the front. And I come running back to him because at that time I wasn't seated or anything. Coming running back to him and I think I said to him something like, um, why have we took so-and-so off and put so-and-so on when he's a crosser and he's a good head of the ball and like we've put a smaller one on. And so my dad said, my dad always said to me that's the first time I thought, you know what, she could probably get into coaching and playing. And then obviously then I did. So got a little tool really. My earliest memories probably... You were 96, but my dad's probably earliest memory of probably my interest in football was um, probably when about seven or eight. And that's kind yeah. of a nice segue into the next question, Sally. Um, obviously, you've gone down this tremendous path coaching. I suppose, what were the small set of sparks along the way that kind of ignited that curiosity and passion? Um, do you know what? I, I, I never really thought about coaching. Um, I played not at a great level, just locally at Barnsley um, and then when I went to college um, my tutor um, at the time was also coaching at Barnsley Girls Centre of Excellence um, and he was the manager of the football team at the Barnsley College and, he, and part of my role I was uh, vice captain first year and captain second year and they all, everybody kept saying I didn't get it for my football ability I definitely got it for my uh, talkativeness um, but um, he just said, you're quite good at taking like the warm-ups and you seem to be good around the girls. And if you were missing late because of lectures, I'd kind of set up sessions and got them going. And he just said, you fancy coming down and helping out at the Girls' Centre of Excellence, which I did. Um, and that kind of where it was. And up until leaving university, I was never going to go into coaching. Um, I did my level one at college. I did my level two and UEFA B at at uni, so I was quite early as a female then, I was 20 when I got my B licence. Um, and to be fair, the FA gave me a mentor and tried to push me really into doing my A licence and down that route. Um, and I went into coach ed quite early, I was 22 when I was delivering level ones, which at the time now being nearly the big 4 um, were kind of unique as a female at that time. So, um, Kind of went down the coach ed route, but yeah, I wasn't going to go into coaching. I wanted to be a P teacher, uh, combined with a history teacher, um, until I was like I said, till I left uni, and then thought, Do you know what, I'll give it a go for a year to see if I can get something in coaching. Um, and I worked my mum and dad's business in the morning doing office work, and then I did after school clubs, PPA time, ran the girls' centre of excellence, then as director, and then that just it, it just evolved and got into, like I say, started working then. Really fortunate, got a full-time job working for David Beckham at London, 
but that kind of come more because of my coach development education role. So like I said, the one at that time, there's about six females, maybe even four females that delivered on the coach education and he needed some. So um, I got head hunted for one of those roles with another female called Tessa Payne that's back at the FA now. Um, and that were it really, it just, it ended up just, it's, I've never set out um, that I wanted to get into coaching. It's kind of just evolved. My pathways evolved, definitely strokes a look along the way that's evoked to where I am to now. Um, so yeah, that, that is, it's, it's a weird, it's, when you look back at my uh, journey, it's weird because I wouldn't have got into the field I got in now if I want gone back into the FA. I was chosen to go on the pilot of the Advanced Youth Award and that sparked my curiosity in the <coughs> psych and social. So yeah, it's um, I never really planned going into coaching and it it just happened and I've just gone with it really. It kind of speaks towards the level of curiosity and passion you have then towards football. If, you know, from what you're saying, kind of your career path has just evolved. You kind of really had no kind of end goal in sight. But it was just you were kind of you know, living in the moment, so to speak, just enjoying day by day, am I correct in saying? Yeah, and a lot of people used to say to me, where do you want to be? In fact, my um, Jack Lester now at Canada Manager at Sheffield United, they'll say to me, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? And I'll just say, I don't know. Like, I'm just, as long as I'm still enjoying it and I've got a good work-life balance, that's all that I'm happy with. And I've just gone involved with it, whereas some people I used to work with, one one female in particular, she were very driven in every every. Um, opportunity or job she applied for or course she did was to a, a purpose and a goal that she always dreamed of um, that's not being the case with me and I can remember um, sat listening to Sturge I'm really close to Pete Sturgis and I can remember Sturge saying something about um, when I pass away at my funeral um, I hope that I've got um, room of people that have influenced or that have made a, an impact on the game or a purpose rather than a World Cup medal and I think that's kind of like where my focus has always been like yes it's idealistic sometimes or World Cup medal or work in the England squads and stuff but it's never really been a, a thing for me to do that it's more being around how to affect change influence the game just have a purpose really that's that's been it so yeah okay. it's been a bit of a different in terms of that, then, obviously, understanding yourself, understanding your own pathway, understanding others' ambitions and goals, it kind of fits in nicely, segues into the neuroscience bit. I mean, from a young, very young age of 22, being a coach, developer, I mean, it's absolutely massive. So it's kind of no surprise that eventually you kind of gravitated towards the neuroscience aspect of football. But I suppose, was there anything, you know, reflecting back upon your career, Sally, that kind of piqued your interest as to why and neuroscience wasn't being explored and why it wasn't being implemented into the football industry. Yeah, definitely. So I was, we, um, the Youth Awards got launched and I were working in the skills programme at the time. And then the Advanced Youth Award got, in 2012, um, put on a pilot. So um, I was chosen as one of the 20 to be the, on the pilot of the 5 to 11. So there were 5 to 11, 12, 16, 17, 21. And um, that was the first time, really, that a course had split the four corners into it and showed you some of the basic understanding of the four-corner model and application. 
and very fortunate went back working the skills program and delivering some of the stuff that we'd learned on the on the course and the kids just seemed to be flourishing in front of us as children and as as players and I took a role um decided I'd take the plunge after that to do my A license so I took a role in the girls center of excellence and I used to come home every week and this particular player uh we're really good close now and she's done so well for herself but I used to come home and I used to be nearly crying I used to think like I can't stand her which is awful to say now but can't stand her she kills me sessions when she's not here the sessions run brilliantly when she's here she's like so negative bad egg like a body language like I can't get through to her she just frustrates me and got to a point where for one I wanted to know the how and the why of why we're doing what we're doing we're working and then two I started questioning about behavior and I got into a conversation with one of my best friends and she works for a company that goes into schools to help practitioners look at um, interventions with children that's got most emotional social vulnerabilities and she said to me I think you're looking at it wrong and if you actually knew the science behind it I think you'd see a different child and Stuart Sanker's work with like see a child differently see a different child and so I went and did a course away from the organization and it was very much for um, primary school teachers um, they've never had somebody come in from sport before so I went and I did it and it gave you basically the latest neuroscience, um, stages and development of the brain, and then looked at um, attachment theory and how then you intervene and put in interruptions into, well, what interruptions are happening in brain development, how then you intervene with creative arts, music, crafts, play, to put them back in, what's right time development, what's interrupted development, and that were basically it. And then <clears throat> it's just evolved over the last couple of years putting it into a master's with Sturge applying it understanding the knowledge understanding how the complexity of that subject <clears throat> is able to be um, transferred into language that are resources that actually you can understand and grasp and then relate to because it's very I can't simplify it because it can't be done. It's it's just it's it's a complex subject, but it's how you <coughs> excuse me, how you make it so it's accessible, basically. And I suppose as you alluded to there earlier on, I mean there's so many spin-off questions I have, Sally, but I suppose just to focus on one, would it be in such a niche area within football with the research constantly evolving? I mean, how do you first stay on top of it all? And I suppose that must lead to a diversity of thoughts and opinions as to what actually the operating procedure is. So with that being said, I mean, what are the common misconceptions about the work you actually do or you have done within the FA and now at Sheffield United? Um, apologies, I've just been on a webinar for three hours chatting, so my voice is a bit, um, going a bit funny, so I have to keep having a drink. When you're good, you're good. <laughs> I know, apologies. It's been like three hours of just chat and then back on it. Um, <clears throat> do you know what I always say in front of anybody? Um, I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a neuroscientist. I have a curiosity around why we do certain things and what happens with behaviour. 
and have a very basic knowledge of the brain and the nervous system. Um, for me, it's around application. Um, also, being able to transfer it. So for me now working at Sheffield United, so the boys can understand it, the boys can know, and that's nice to 23s, that, that they understand that this is what kit they've got um, on a very basic level. And this is what happens in states of the game, how they feel with emotions and feelings. And I think the science is underpins it. And I try to always bring things back to that for the boys to understand. And conversations with some of the coaches have been around. The best things we can give our boys in our academy system is the understanding of what works best for them. So what makes them happy? What makes them sad? How does this work then? And how do they then help that for learning and performance? And that's all we can give them become the resources to really understand themselves. And I think that's um, a big thing about the neuroscience is every everything that happens to us and experiences gets stored in our body and our brain. So our behavior is a result of our experiences and what want to keep us safe. <clears throat> and I think... <clears throat> A lot of the time we want to go academic and I get it. Um, and there's a difference in academia and practitioner. Um, and we've got to bridge that gap. And I think for me, my, my work at the minute is just trying to have a play around with it. What works, what doesn't, what sits, what fits. Um, how the boys take it, how the coaches take it. And just explore it and actually not be... <clears throat> tool brought up on I try to not be caught up on um what people would think of the the resources because everybody's it's just a model that works for the boys and as long as the boys can understand it yeah it's not scientific as well as it should be but for me I know the science behind it as long as it helps the boys that's that's all kind of that I'm I, I look at if that makes sense if that's really answered your question but it's, a, it's a, a word that gets branded that makes people look brighter than what they are. And for me, it's just really the boys understanding themselves. That's it. And then I suppose if we were to speak of some practical examples, um, Sally, of getting those boys to understand themselves more. Um, one thing you alluded to earlier on was the social engagement system. Um, training yeah. the brain for learning. I mean, perhaps could you shed some light on some of the practices you guys have developed? Yeah. So a social engagement system comes out of polyvagal theory, which is Stephen Porges' work. Um, and it talks around, we talk around getting them in the green zone. So up for learning, up for relationships. And it's all around, so we talk, or some of the practices that we've done is around um, <clears throat> arrival activities. So even though we've promoted the FA, the science massively behind it. So arrival activities, We've done some work on structure boards. So the boys come in and there's some structure on what they're learning, what they're going to get. Um, it's up for connection. It makes us, so as dopamine levels get higher. Um, so the connection, we talk around um, what we're going to do on connection, about placing safety. So the goalkeepers, for example, have their weekly um, plans sent out. Our goalkeeping department's really took loads of stuff on. Tommy and George have done brilliant with it. Um, and so every week, 
on the WhatsApp group gets sent out the programme for the week, but it's got on there who's coaching them, when they're coaching them, um, the activity, a video of good practice, and then a fun fact or a connection fact for the week. And it's just basically giving cues of safety, which then opens up conversations, which then activates our social engagement system. And our social engagement system is very much done to our threat detection. So the your voice, your safety mechanisms, the role of the coach, what they say, how they say it, a smile, it all interlinks. So even though some of the strategies or some things that we do is very much um, surface level, you could say psych, you could say biopsychosocial, you could say sociologist, however you want to word it, um, it's very much surface level. The underpinning theory is underpinning. So the boys all know about the red brain, the, the green zone, well, the red zone, the green zone, the vagus nerve, what happens in their nervous system. But then there's the application of that on top. So this is how you learn, this is how you feel. So the strategies that we do is very much applica application, but the coaches and the um, boys know the stuff that's below it. Um, I talk to the boys sometimes about, and I use the metaphor of Wembley. So for me, <clears throat> stuff that we get shown or we deliver is very much grass level, but the soil stuff is what becomes of it, the neuroscience. So the boys know about that, the coaches know about that, and that's the soil. And what we're trying to do is develop the soil. So when bedtime's it, um, so we'll talk about Wembley, if there's been a concert or NFL, it gets trodden down, what regrows? How's it regrow so good because of the soil and also the care from the ground stuff? So the relationship and co-relationship of the player and the coach enables the soil, the soil to regrow the grass and also the children's soil and nervous system understanding that helps to regrow. If we're doing that day in, day out, we're eating neurological stuff as well as grass level stuff, well, we're developing the soil, we're developing the grass and we can see then performances on the grass. But you're also giving them the soil for what comes with life and demands of the game and life. So it's interweaved quite cleverly into our site programme. And if you want to call it a site programme, it's not a site programme, but our outfit programme, um, it's interweaved in that. It's interweaved in our new vision and values. It's interweaved in our daily practice. But on surface level, you would say that's the strategies that you're doing, but it's all underpinned by what we know about the brain and the nervous system. It's a fantastic analogy to kind of underpin everything that you spoke about, Sally. And I suppose like it just gives iteration to the fact that it's, you know, it's a never ending game, isn't it? Youth development, yeah. not even youth development, but development at the first team level. Professionals can obtain these resources and use them to their um, at best use. But yeah. I suppose for me as a coach looking from the outside in, do you think it is it possible to put players in the correct challenge skills bucket or bracket, so to speak, without sacrificing a little bit of the social engagement system? Expand on that for me. There's the yeah, there's an issue there in the challenge skills bracket of being stressed versus stretched. 
And obviously, yeah. I think in youth development and player development, so many coaches have been inundated with kind of stretching or stressing players to the red zone's max performance. Are we at yeah. danger of kind of doing that to the detriment of something else, be it the social engagement system? Or is there an age in which we can flip the script? Um, I talk around the social engagement system being a preamble. So if you've got a good relationship and you put them in what, call the, what we call our green zone, before then we put them into a session, um, we can then throw some curveballs in to stretch, if that makes sense. So yes. but we also can, with um, certain players or certain aspects, get some outcomes by um, throwing curveballs in before we've even given the social engagement system. So, and that's all around then connection with the coach and also framing it and knowing that some, some will be able to cope with that and see how we get on with it and some won't. So it's all, it, it's hard to explain in a way, but it's, for example, we were talking the day and we said, um, we might just put um, meet in the academy at eight o'clock um, and then no coaches be in. And then just say, you've got to be at this postcode for 10. See how they get on, how they're going to solve the problem whatever um so there's a there's a there's an understanding of when and where you use what you use so but for me for the littler ones as well we'll put them in the social engagement system but then we'll stretch them because they'll go in and out of the red and the green zone but it's then the role of the coach that helps them co-regulate especially the younger ones so i did a game the other day with them and we did like a 4b2 and i said to them you know what boys like this is the session this is what we're doing all this, so gaming, social engagement, they had just a bit of free play. And then it was kind of like, a, right, boys, we're just going to do this session. Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be frustrating for some of you. It's four against two, and I get it. And I'm here to help you with it. Because, you know, sometimes on a game, we get frustrated, don't we? I saw you last week playing against X, and I'll say green, because uh, this is a green thing there, I don't want to say name. Um, saw you getting frustrated, and that's all right. Because you know what? That shows you care. So we're going to work on it tonight. So there's elements of social engagement system for the little ones to then frame it, to then prim in and feel it and sense it, to be able to cope with it. The older ones, we tend to try and do, um, put the curveballs in and stretch them. But as long as we've got that connection with moving them in and out, then they're developing the, the byproducts of that anyway about the stretching stuff. It's Does not yeah, it makes total sense. And then you're going back. It's feeding into normalising your emotions, normalising the human experience, being able to relate to that, creating a psychologically safe environment. Yeah, and that's it. And we like we took the boys up to um, an outdoor adventure and put them in different environments. We took them out, like, I didn't last week because I were away, but we took them off, um, diving off the top boards, you know, like putting them in different environments and going, like, watch your emotions and feelings because you're different in context. So, you know, jumping, having to go off the back of a cliff, 50 foot, you know, what's, what's your thought process? How do you feel about it? Jumping off the top of a diving board, gone boxing today, the goalkeepers, they went go-karting in the week, you know, like what's the contextual stuff brought? So what's the connection with the coaches? So we do a lot of the stuff just to <clears throat> get the psychological safety, but then check and challenge. And we've done quite a bit of work with my staff at Saka. He come in and did some presentation with us. So the coach are quite aware of about the high challenge high support stuff. So yeah, we try and filter it in and it's 
it's purposeful. <clears throat> That's the thing for me. Um, with anything that we do, it's purposefully planned and it's framed and then it's explained why. And then there's a process of how did it make you feel? What's your emotions with it? I noticed this about you. And then a lot of the coaches relate it back into themselves. Like I had that. This is what happened when I got released. This is when I had this. And I think then it just connects all the learning a little bit better. And they actually realise the boys that it's not just them feeling that way. Because <clears throat> boys are different a little bit with their emotions and feelings and how they perceive it. Um, I think it's culturally that we do that. Um, there's no difference in brain and nervous system, structure-wise, but culturally we do. And then we're in a system of power in an academy where we retain release that then influences that even more around, you know, I obviously not good enough um, to be in this system if I'm nervous about playing X, Y, and Z, when actually nerves and experiences are normal. Like we show the boys a, a clip of Gundula in the Champions League semi-final of like doing the team talk, talking about, you know, I'm nervous, but we're going to use it as excitement. And so it's just trying to normalise in a sense of normalising that emotions and feelings, just emotions and feelings, no good and bad. It's how you work with it. And then for me, sociology is one of the is one of is the ology that's missing out of football because power shifts and all this stuff that then happens with that then get ties in so yeah for me what's interesting what further kind of complicates it too sally is that it's almost like a state of being you never really reach a final end point do you it's kind of multiple iterations along the way yeah and things change because i had, a, I had an hour meeting last night with one of the lads and he just he, um, coming he's like I've got some free time can I come and see you I'm like yeah and he's just got injured so his mindset now is totally different and how he feels is totally different and how he's processing is different and we're having to build them things in now because then later on if he gets injured he's already had that process so <clears throat> and it's just we just I try with anything we do um, like some of the boys have got journals but I always, we always link it back into what the science is telling us about <clears throat> journals, about your body, about your brain. Um, and I always find something that backs it up for them. So we do like the little videos, inspirational videos and the journal bits and whatever, but we always tie it back to the body and the brain and the nervous system and tie it back to the fact that everybody's unique and individual because of what is stored in their brain and body and nervous system. So and that's why we'll say to them, you know, it's this is this is these are strategies. You have to be part of the process to know what works and what doesn't work for you, because we're not all the same. And there's no substitute, really, is there, for that learned experience? It's almost like a mental highlight, really. You're able to recall upon at any time. Yeah, and you know what? I set off now in my workshops, and um, we we do them differently, all different ways and stuff. <clears throat> but I set off for the week with the boys and I was doing it with the 23s actually and um, there were about nine of them in and I set off and you get a, and they were like you get a couple of nods and then you start going through a bit of cost you're showing some clips or something or you're talking about what you've seen and and then you start going right well let's look at the science and then you get some of like these daydreaming looks because they're going in a bit of the red zone in immobilization <clears throat> and then you bring it back to the football and then they'll start going, oh, yeah. And as soon as you start getting your nods, that's all I need because then I know they're back in the social engagement system and they're connecting the dots and they're learning and they're planning, they're reflecting on things. So 
it's yeah I think it's when I get the glazed look bring it back to the football I always bring it back to the football and I think that's probably what um why I've had so much buy-in at Sheffield United because I can link it back to the football you know and that's the norm a coach the know I coach develop the know I still work at the FA delivering all the courses so I can just tie it back to the football and talk the football and I think that's that's probably what gives me some social capital in that group. And I suppose it's interesting, even the topic of delivering the workshops. It's one thing, obviously, doing it with players, Sally, but with respect, like you begun this years ago on an advanced youth award programme, I mean, delivering it to coaches back then. I mean, how was it then versus how is it now? I suppose in terms of delivery, you're certainly not too theory dense, given what we discussed off camera about sciencey terms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I were on, I were on the, I were on the airways at learners, so I want on as deliverer. But <clears throat> I can only, I can only every, every, and it's my bias. But every lens or anything, when you look at coach development, I think around. Well, if the learner comes in on day one of say the level two or the level one or you ever be, if they're not in the green zone and social engagement, the learning's not taking place. So. There's all the stuff before it that I try to have a preamble for to get him into it. And Coach Ed's definitely gone down that route, like of, you know, connection activities and um, structure board of where, what they're doing for the day and all that side. And so we do it, whether we know the science behind it, probably do. Um, but I think for me now, Coach Ed, I've... I, went full circle really and two years ago delivered on the Advanced Youth Award on the psych of all this work and the biggest feedback that come back was that it was linked to the football so they could see the application and I think that's what sometimes happens you get the science but how do you then apply it um, whereas I kind of went down the, the left me problems from the social corner so I went down the line, these are your problems or issues, challenges. This is the science. What's then now our view on it and how we're going to handle it? And we looked at it that way. And I think that's probably, we delivered very much surface level, grass level, whereas I think neuroscience gives you the soil level, which helps you then to practice or deliver it on the grass, which then helps flourish the players on the grass. But definitely... I see it from my angle and a very bias, but I think we need, I think coaches want to know the more of the how and the why now, I think because of the youth awards and the advanced youth award and internet and the sharing information and the, the push forward of that, like what's next? Like what's next with it? Like where are we going to go with it? And I know it's my bias and my lens, but I think neuroscience starts to give us some answers of that and starts to challenge and develop more and, help 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 with that player development angle and coach development angle definitely and obviously you're doing groundbreaking work with it now sally with respect to today's generation but what i heard on um, a podcast of yours before you're speaking about the future player and obviously the effect the past year and a half would have had on children coming into the world i mean what type of developers do we need to be what type of coaches do we need to be to provide for the future learner over the next coming years well, early research on COVID obviously is a big indicator on anxiety. 
and parents and mums that obviously gave birth excluded from fathers and stuff like that or, or partners and so I think regarding COVID or not regarding COVID um COVID will have a massive effect on anxiety as human beings would are really well in with uncertainty and certainty which we talked about earlier around throwing some stretch and some challenge um I think understanding more about children is needed um child development is massive for anxiety structure boards are brilliant for anxiety with children um <clears throat> I think if you look at what the data or research is about generation z they're different with what's in front of us at the minute um the amount of times i hear about our ydp in england dropping off the cliff or we need to bridge the gap well we need to look at probably what the adolescent brain's telling us and the science behind that um and probably culturally why our education system doesn't help with that as well um so i think there's a couple of things i think we need more um understanding around behaviors and brain and body and child development i think we need more understanding about adolescent brain and what happens with that and how does that help our children coming through that um, <clears throat> early research shows that we'll have more anxious children in seven to eight years because of what happened in covid and what's happening through epigenetics through with mums in wombs everything's stored even in in the womb everything's stored but then again, it's early research. We don't know until we get past in eight years. And actually, <clears throat> if we've had a shift in some of the schools that they've gone, do you know what? They've had a year or two out or they've had this and they need more game time. We could catch that up. We just don't know. So it's, in theory, you would say X, but it could be Y and Z. So I think it's, again, that just looking at every individual child, what is the behaviour telling you? What do they need? What could be the answers to this? What could be um, affecting them? What might be something different to look at? And a lot of people said to me, um, so what is your job then at Chef United? Because I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a neuroscientist, I'm not one at coaching, but I work within them all. And I'm like, I just basically give different perspectives. And I think that's all I do. I just challenge thinking, give different perspectives. And then it challenges their thinking and they think about it a bit differently and because I've not come through, we talked about it earlier, a system, now we're in, now I'm in a system, my view is a bit different. Whereas, you know, not saying everybody, but majority of coaches that work back in the boys' academy come through, have come through the boys' academy, whether successfully or unsuccessfully. So <clears throat> talk around if you get educated at Cambridge or Oxford, you probably get educated by Cambridge or Oxford people. So you, you carry on the thinking. Whereas so I think in a way, when I come in, I just try and change people's perceptions and thinking. And I'm just so, so fortunate that I've got people in there that do think about it and they do accepting and they are open minded and they do want to learn. And they're just great people that then can start to affect probably a system that probably does need a bit of change, if I'm being honest. I think it's that divergent thinking and breadth of experiences that the football industry really is calling out for at the moment. But as you alluded to, of course, your current role within Sheffield United, I mean, do you think you can achieve any of the success in terms of implementing the latest re or implementing these practices regarding neuroscience and whatnot? 
without having that crucial support staff read out, without having that culture, without having that environment around. Do you think that's the first and foremost integral piece to ensuring this success? Definitely. Um, by far. Um, I think for one and two is to affect anything neurologically, you've got to go through a relational approach. So if you haven't got the relationships with staff, you're not really going to give anything, you're not really going to get anything neurologically developed anyway between players and staff or staff. Um, I think um, I've got an amazing academy manager within Jack Lester who um, is open to learning, has a clear vision, but will happily take things on board, look at things and wants to challenge things as well. Um, I think the environment's massive. We've just changed our offices. So <clears throat> we've got a collaboration desk. We're trying to stop out the hierarchy for opinions and all that side of it, which again comes back to sociology of capital and power. And the, the relationships and the people that are in there, um, I first went in and had a little look round for a couple of weeks just to get a feel of it. And also there were no point me going in if I couldn't influence and impact because um, I'd get frustrated and I wear it all over my face. So that's what I need to work on. But um, but the, the personalities and the environment that they're in and the different thinking is brilliant and <clears throat> something that come up, well, months back now. And we had three posts come up for some part-time staff. We had 113 applicants and not one female. And um, so I said it in front of everybody. Um, so I, Jack were in his office, cops, which he never normally sits in his office, Donnie. So please don't, like, come out. And he said, um, what jumps do about it? Not in a bad way, just what jumps do about it? Like, you're right, we've got 113, no females, what? And I said, well, on every application, Norman, an academy, you've got to have academy experience. I said, so I wouldn't have even got looked at in an interview. So I said, well, of course we would have. I said, you would now, you know me. You wouldn't have before, probably, just on a blank canvas with no academy experience. So I said, fair point. So we've took it off. So now on our job roles, you can apply for our job roles with no academy experience, which we've had a couple come in now with no academy experience. But like you said, they bring divergent thinking. <clears throat> so the environment that we set um, within that academy and how people are and how they interact it's massive for our vision, which our vision states a new vision that we put together, but it states about everything's got to be done through a relational approach. And it has through a psychologically safe relational approach. So yeah, the people are a people of what? Definitely the people that make the um, impact. And it's not, I'm only in a couple of days a week. Um, so all, all my job really is, is just to, nudging to push and then they kind of like see it and then roll with it so it's not really I'm just giving a little bit of the science but actually it's a lot of their work if being honest and I suppose this, you know the success speaks for itself having people like yourself on board and all the academy graduates 
the club manages to churn out on a never-ending basis, really. But um, as we, I suppose as we begin to close, Sally, you spoke about, you mentioned earlier on about how it was your end goal to ultimately influence multiple people, get them into the dream of neuroscience. But to make it practical then for those that are listening, be they working at grassroots level, be they working in a professional game, I suppose what's the smallest thing they can do tonight to implement within their coaching? Um, do you know what? I'm gonna it don't sound neuroscience at all, um, but there's a loads of science that backs it up. But um I would say smile. I know <laughs> this sounds really daft, but um how a coach's face and tone is with children or with anybody, with players or with staff, will affect their threat detection system. And our threat detection system comes from our corner of our eyes down to the bottom of our mouth in like a triangle. And that's because when we're babies, we get passed around and then we're all, we're all around this face. That's why probably masks will have had an impact on that. Um, if, we, if we're good at using his eyes, probably not. But if not, it's probably had an impact on our threat detection system. So I would say what we say and how we say it and the power of a smile, it seems very fluffy, the power of a smile. But actually, it's massive. So massive for our children, for players, for connection. And like I said, we use the term, um, it's Dr. Treisman's work about correction before connection. Well, connection before correction, sorry. And that's all comes down to that. It's all to our threat detection system, whether you're in the green zone or the red zone before we even start. So power of a smile is massive. Um, and then I always advocate in grassroots, um, still in elite, but more so in grassroots because I normally get the timetable in the elite stuff but a structure board of what's coming like what's happening tonight because some children will come in and say to you what we're doing tonight or what, we, what we're doing a weekend we plan the weekend and we just go I'll just concentrate on this for a minute and then I'll tell you in a bit but actually they can't then concentrate on it because they're worried about what's coming next so I'll print it on a little structure board just go in six o'clock arrival ten past six um, practice six forty game home time at seven some children that don't need it. So that again, uniqueness, they'll come in, they'll just get a ball and start. Some children will come in, check it, and then they're settled and they're in. So just something as simple as a greeting of a smile um, and a name. Like we talk about names, like how many times if somebody gets your name wrong, does it evoke an emotion? Or how many times you like to think about how what names you're going to give your children? It's massive. So a smile, a name, and a structure board is probably even though it doesn't sound neuroscientific, it's quite scientific in the neuroscience stuff that obviously helps as we are building our brains for, for safety. That's what people are gravitating. That's what people are gravitating towards, especially as football coaches, you know, something that's simple, something that's practical and ready to use straight away. And I suppose, yeah. Sally, we've, I mean, I've really enjoyed this chat. I know so many others will get so much value and would have enjoyed our conversation. But just finally to close, as we ask every guest, um, I suppose what's your one bit of advice for anyone that wishes to enter the football industry like yourself either through cultivating their niche or going down the coaching route um, do you know what I'm going to go left field with it um, I think you need a niche these days if I'm honest so find a niche um, because there's so many people out there so find a niche but my biggest advice when I've had anybody that's 
I've mentored at the FA or has been with me. All I've said to him is my biggest advice I can give you is work hard and be kind to people. And that's it. Because you know what? Football is a small industry. Um, be authentic. Don't conform. And just work hard and be nice to people. And that's all you can be. And you'll go far with that. I think that's a fitting way to close the show. Um, Sally, you've been very generous and kind with your time. Um, it's been great to get an insight into your thoughts and um, I wish you continued success with yourself and within your role at Sheffield United. Thanks, Connor. Being lovely to chat. Thank you for the invite.